Ducks with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the 164th episode of the Robots Podcast. I am Jana and today we will learn all about M-Blocks. But first, here are the news with Christine. Thank you, Jana. As UAVs grow more popular, so do the number of operators. Sometimes this means that people with little experience are controlling these flying lawnmowers near people, which has resulted in some serious accidents. The company Spark Aerial has recognized this problem and have launched a Kickstarter campaign to create an aerial cinematography flight school. Its founders, Radley Angelo, Kurt Selander and Austin Hill, are accomplished aerial photographers in their own right, having been featured on CNN and the National Geographic Channel, among many others. This flight school will consist of mostly free training videos that emphasize flight safety and will cover the basics such as taking off and landing through advanced piloting maneuvers. This project was successfully funded within three weeks of its launch and is backed by UAV industry leaders such as 3D Robotics, DJI and Flytrix. Google's research team, Google X, has revealed that they have been working on drone delivery for the last two years. They call their venture Project Wing, and the effort is headed by unmanned aerial and marine systems engineer Dave Voss. Different than Amazon's quadrocopter approach, Google is using what is called a tail-sitter, which is a hybrid of plane and multi-rotor aircraft that takes off and lands vertically and can hover but flies horizontally. When it nears the package drop-off destination, it pitches upwards to a vertical position and hovers a couple hundred feet in the air. Unlike Amazon's drone deliver and for safety reasons, Google has decided to winch the package down to the ground for delivery instead of flying down and placing it. When deployed for delivery, the package, which is connected by a thin line to the vehicle itself, is lowered with a small ball of electronics Google calls an egg. The egg detects when the package has reached the ground, detaches the package, and instructs the tether to retract. Now Google will begin growing the program to create a system that will deliver things people want quickly via small, fast self-flying vehicles as they call them. The first phase of such vehicles are being tested in Australia, since the remotely piloted aircraft policies are more permissive than those in the United States. For more information about UAV safety and drone delivery, visit robohub.org. M-Blocks, developed at the MIT in the US, are small, self-reconfigurable, modular robots. They look like cubes with no exterior moving parts, but can propel themselves forward, jump on top of each other and snap together to form arbitrary shapes. Our interviewer, Aldo Nash, spoke to John Romaneshin, one of the researchers working on the project, about M-Blocks, their development, and their potential. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? 
I'm John Romanishin. I'm a mechanical engineer at the Distributed Robotics Laboratory uh, at MIT working on the M-Blocks modular robot project. Can you tell me the motivation of the M-Blocks? So the idea behind the M-Blocks project is to develop modular robots that are able to change their shape uh, and work together with in a large collection in order to form robots that comprise uh, lots of individual modules. So tell our listeners what they look like. So the M-Blocks are, they look very simple. They're, they're basically just a cube made out of uh, plastic with magnets on the outside and uh, an actuator that fits inside of the, of the cube. And these cubes move. Uh, tell me how they move. So the, the cubes move through angular momentum, which essentially they, they have a mass inside that, that spins up and then it can stop the, the mass, which causes the, the whole cube to spin. And that allows them to roll on the ground, it allows them to jump, and it also allows them to sort of climb on top of a structure, both of other cubes. Can we hear it? Sure. So we have in front of us some M blocks, and you're going to be able to listen to them as they move. What kind of sensors are on board? Uh, so right now the, the cube uh, just has a, an IMU, which is an accelerom- accelerometer and a gyroscope, but we are working to add light sensors and infrared communication sensors in the, in the future. So you mentioned there's a spinning mass. How are you stopping it to make the M-block move? So yeah, so the, we developed a type of, uh, of brake that uses rubber belt in order to very quickly stop the flywheel from spinning. And essentially it works like a, a band brake, which is a, a type of brake that, that uses the, the tension of a belt in order to self-tighten around a spinning object and cause it to stop very quickly. So in our case, the, the flywheel stops uh, in about 10 milliseconds, which generates a, a relatively high torque, which is enough to move the, the modules. And how does one M block interact with other M blocks? How do you create a structure? So right now the, the, the blocks just snap together with the magnets that are surrounding uh, in the frame of the M blocks. And so when they, they connect with the magnets and then they can climb over each other just using, using those same magnets. Uh, but in the future we'll have them hopefully sort of connect together using other methods like bolts or some some form of more permanent connection so we can make structures that are stronger. There's face magnets as well. Uh, can you talk about those? So yeah, so the uh, in addition to the 24 uh, permanent magnets that are in the edges, we have 48 additional magnets that are a lot smaller and they sort of just help find alignment of the module because when the edge magnets uh, have a little bit of play in how the alignment between two modules works, and so with the with the additional magnets which are on every face, they precisely align, which helps helps the structure to, to maintain a regular lattice structure. And so, by moving individual M blocks, you hope to be able to create complex structures. So yeah, I mean, and a lot of the the idea behind the M blocks is sort of it's it's very early research and how you would make a system that can 
take parts of it and sort of rearrange them on its own without a person doing that assembly. And so in the, in the long term in the future, you would sort of use these same ideas in order to build functional devices, like maybe furniture that can reassemble itself or robots that can change their shape. But right now it's, it's sort of very focused on just being able to move and reconfigure. Tell our listeners how large these M blocks are. So the, the M blocks are, uh, they're 50 millimeters on the side, which is roughly two inches. So they're, they're cube. You'd roughly approximate it as a, the shape of a tennis ball, except it's a cube. So hand-sized. So. Yes, yeah, so you could pick them up easily. Yeah, they're very, they're very, you can play with them and rearrange them sort of like Legos so that they're very easy to work with. Mm-hmm. Now, what about making them smaller? Uh, are there physical limitations? So a lot of groups have worked on making modular robots a lot smaller, and this is sort of a, a long-term dream of the community, but we focused on, on this size because working with the components that we have, for example, the circuit boards and the motors and the sensors, it makes it, makes it very difficult to make them smaller. There, there aren't really physical limitations in terms of laws of nature or physics, but there's sort of practical manufacturing constraints, and it's a challenge that a lot of other people are working on, but we're sort of focusing on the, the robotics aspect instead of the size and miniaturization aspect, which is a very interesting but related challenge. Gotcha. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you are stopping or how you are using the belt to stop the mass? So, yeah, so the, the belt essentially is wrapped right around the flywheel. And the flywheel is, is just a, a disc of metal. And the the belt is almost touching it, but but it's kept away. There's a slight gap of about a millimeter a millimeter between the belt and the flywheel. And so when we use a essentially a solenoid, which is a, a magnetic coil, to move the belt into contact with the flywheel when it's spinning, and once the belt touches the flywheel, it sort of catches and self-tightens. And so once you get the contact, it sort of completes the, the braking action on its own, which is a very convenient aspect of the design. One of the challenges we faced was just trying to fit all of the components into a relatively small cube. And so we, an earlier design, we used a servo in order to, to move the belt to actually brake, but in our next iteration, we couldn't fit a servo anymore, so we sort of developed a, a simpler approach based on a solenoid, uh, which is just a coil and some magnets. And so that fits in a smaller space, and it's very reliable because there's, there's no there's very limited moving parts. There's no gears and motors, and so that that's one of the the new design features of the next generation of the of the blocks. Mm-hmm. So depending on the direction of the current through the solenoid, it generates a magnetic field that pulls one of the magnets closer, and that tightens the belt, which stops the spinning mass. Yeah. Right? So so there's it's basically just a bidirectional solenoid. So so you you turn the coil the you put current through in one direction, and it moves a magnet to the right. You put the current in the other direction, moves it to the left. How does this compare to other modular robotics? So yeah, so there's there's a lot of very fascinating research that's been done and a lot of interesting research that's going on right now in, in developing similar systems. And one of the main differences in our system is that 
all of the we use inertial actuation. Almost all the other designs sort of use more traditional motors and and uh, rotational joints in order to reconfigure. And there's a lot of benefits of that approach. They can they can sort of have more traditional arm like robotic structures, and they can have, they have a, a level of precision. But the benefits that we get by by using inertial actuation are that the the modules are they're very simple externally. There, there's no moving parts that can break. They they connect and disconnect very easily, and also they they can move sort of in a in a simpler way. They don't have to connect arms and latches together in order to move to a new, new space. They can kind of just roll on top of other modules. So it's it's a very simpler. It's a much it's a much simpler approach to basic reconfiguration than arms and servos. And your most recent design allows for the spinning mass to change planes so that the end blocks can move in different directions. Yes. Can you talk a bit about that? So yeah, so the, the, the first uh, sort of prototype version of the end blocks were, was limited to moving in one plane in one direction. And they're, since they're in a cubic Lattice, there are three planes, and in either plane you can either roll to the right or the left, so there's six total sort of directions it can move in, so that the new design can move in all six of those directions. And this, this we essentially use one, a single flywheel, but it can sort of change planes uh, in order to reach all of those different movements. Now, you've brought this to several shows and done demos. What do people think? I mean, most... Uh, I think people are just surprised to see something kind of flying through the air that looks like there's no uh, obvious mechanisms to do that. And so it's sort of, I think, just kind of fundamentally magnets and angular momentum are sort of just almost like magical phenomena. And so I think it, it's very, that's sort of the first thing that that people notice, and that's one of the, the reasons why I think it's a fun project to work with. We kind of get to work with these cool aspects like that. So I think that's sort of the first. What have been some of the major challenges designing M-Block? So the, so the main challenge we faced, which I think is most other modular, robot, modular robotics people will sympathize with, is just fitting a lot of elements into a small shape. Because the problem is if you, if you make the shape larger to try to fit more elements, you run into problems of it's, it's not strong enough, or it's too big, and, and so basically just fitting lots of small components into a small space is, is probably the biggest challenge we faced. So how did you deal with this? So we just dealt with it by designing every piece through multiple iterations and sort of just really taking a, a solid look at how the design, you know, just lots of iterations of, of design in future projects that you're going to be working on, what lessons will you take from this? I think, uh, I guess the one the one lesson I've learned through it is it it's really really pays off to to go the extra mile of redesigning something if you find a problem with it because we we've maybe it's it's taken us a long time to get this new version of the robot working, but there's been a lot of cases where we sort of just throw everything away and start over because we found a better way to do it. And I think that ultimately will lead to a, a more successful project than sort of 
going with what kind of works and hoping you can get by with that. Do you have any examples? So yeah, I mean, one of the examples is just the sort of the electronic system uh, where we have we had some earlier prototypes that kind of worked, but then we really kind of went back to the drawing board when they didn't quite work. Uh, and so some of the details of that are sort of the actuator. We went through lots of iterations of that to get it to work. And it's really nice to be to get to a point where it does work reliably, even though it took a lot of time to get there. What have you learned about the creative process? I guess, I guess the main thing I've learned is just that it really pays off to deeply think about the challenges and, and talk to somebody else you can bounce ideas. I, you know, these are generally pretty standard methods of uh, designing things, but basically think about it, look at all the options. Like, for example, when we were designing our, our actuator to move the brake, we looked at sort of any method that can, any actuation method from from compressed air to motors to shape memory alloy, and we sort of just evaluated them and, and looked what made the most sense and made a lot of prototypes of each one and sort of a lot of uh, looking at kind of the fundamental limits of it, like look at the physics and can we get enough power density in here? Do we have enough energy to do that? It's so sort of a, just a very drawn-out process of looking at all the options, talking with other people, and, and going through a lot of sort of design iterations was how I see the process of designing like a complex system like this. What do you think is the future of M-Blocks? So, I mean, I hope that uh, we'll be able sort of to demonstrate a system, a re- realistic system using more than 100 uh, elements working together and actually doing useful actions with that. I think, I, I hope what this will prove is that we can get sort of accelerate some of the development in a modular robotics community of, of actually making useful modular robots. And I, I hope that I don't actually I'm not sure that the MBlocks themselves will be in an application anytime soon, but I hope that they will sort of provide some more groundwork for future systems that might actually come out into the real world. What are some of the future goals of MBlocks? So, I mean, the main goal right now is just to get a system of more than 20 modules sort of working together. Uh, but in the future, we, we want to add new capabilities and actually test out uh, algorithms for sort of decentralized control. So you can have, instead of a computer telling each block what to do, we want to move towards uh, having the blocks sort of talk among their neighbors and figure out what to do based on their local considerations. And, and the reason you want to do that is because you can... At a scale of 20 modules, it's easy for a computer to just tell them what to do, but when you have a million modules in the future, that becomes a little more problematic, and so you want sort of the decentralized control is one of the things we really want to work on. What kind of things are you considering to implement in the M-blocks for Swarm uh, M-block? So, I mean, one of the, the main things is just having some kind of sensors so that they can sort of react by themselves but make it sort of a whole swarm-wide result of that. Like you, for example, have something where they can all move together when they see some stimulus and then 
once they get where they're going, they can connect together and then form a new robot. So sort of making making them all work together in a way where they're running their own individual program, but sort of the end result is like an actual system movement instead of just an individual robot. What do you think is the future of robotics? So I think one of the most interesting aspects of future robotics is where sort of robotic systems will integrate more closely and sort of work in the same way as biological systems. I think this is a very fundamental research challenge, and I, I like where modular robotics is sort of trying that approach, and I think in the future it'll sort of develop along the same way as uh, bio- biological systems and have some of the same capabilities. Thank you. You're welcome. And that's the end of today's episode. As always, just check out our website at robotspodcast.com for background information and all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. M Blocks with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.